a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. You'll know that we've been uh, had a bit of a mini-series, really, looking at some of the things that are important to us as a church, uh, looking at what some of our values are, what we feel God has spoken to us about, and uh, we're continuing that this morning. Over recent weeks, we've been looking at things like the importance of worshipping in spirit and truth, the importance of loving God. We've been looking at building community and how we do that. Uh, looking at loving one another. Uh, we spent a while looking at the importance, biblically, of reaching out. So to have an you know, outward perspective, if you like, not just to be about what's happening here or with us, uh, but how we feel God has called us to love people who don't know Jesus yet. And then last week, I think it was, we looked at serving the city and uh, loving the city and what we can do to play our part in uh, reaching the city that God has called us to. But this morning, what I want to move on from is not just to be talking about the city, so the, uh, the geographic area immediately that God has called us to, but this morning I want to look at uh, what the Bible has to say about reaching nations. So I want to enlarge our perspective a bit this morning. So uh, we've spent some time looking at uh, what God is doing in Jubilee, how we should be uh, loving people who don't know Jesus yet, how we should be serving the city that he's called us to. But this morning, I want to give us a much bigger vision than that and look at what the Bible has to say about going to or reaching the nations. I'm trusting this series is helpful to us. Those of you who've heard some of them, preachers can nod in an encouraging way at this point. Thank you very much. If you've missed any of the talks, you can get them off the website. You can download them. If you don't have internet access, contact the office and we can send you a CD. But I'm trusting that it's helpful for us to look at these things because the subjects, that the, the title of the series that we've uh, been going through, we've called Church God's Way. And uh, there's different ways of doing church. There's different ways of, of being church and different expressions even in the city that we're part of. And what I've been wanting to do over these few weeks is to remind us of what we feel God has spoken to us about, what's important to us, where we're heading, and how we're going to be getting there. So the vision that God has given us in Jubilee is very much to build a city church, see a large church established here, but that has an effect on and an influence in the city, the wider area, and indeed the nations, which is why we'll be talking about that this morning. And uh, we're part of a uh, family of churches called New Frontiers, and we've got uh, a number of churches all around the world now. We'll look at that a little bit later. And so not only is this important to us, but it's also important to the group or the family of churches that we're part of. And this is uh, embedded in our DNA, if you like. Now, it's fair to say that there is a whole load for us to do, even just in Derby and the immediate surrounding area. If you look at the stats, then you'll find that Derby has a population of around about a quarter of a million people. It has a, quite a wide regional draw on areas just outside the city. So you might think, why bother looking any further? 
You know, we've got a whole load of work to do, even just here. Or even if we just enlarge our sights to the end of a bus route. But actually, as you look through the Bible, you'll find that increasingly time and time again, God speaks to his people, not just about their immediate location, but about the nations. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Look at what the Bible has to say about going to the nations. So why don't we pray? And uh, then what I want to do is look at what the Old Testament has to say, look at what the New Testament has to say, and look at what the implications are for us here this morning. And we should be done by lunchtime. Okay? That's my plan. Because I like fajitas too. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you for your presence. We thank you for being with us even this morning. And we thank you too for your word. Lord, we love your word. Thank you for speaking to us through it so clearly. And I pray now, Lord God, as we open up your word, that once again you would speak to us. Help us to understand what we read. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and apply this word to our lives. Let it be living and active in us this morning that you may challenge us, you might encourage us, and do us good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so right at the beginning of the Bible, you find the book of Genesis. And right at the beginning of Genesis, there's chapter 1. Some of you are saying, boy, this is going to be profound. It gets better. And right in Genesis 1, where we find uh, God creating Adam and Eve, right at the very uh, beginning there, Adam is told to fill the earth and subdue it. So there they are in the Garden of Eden. They're in a beautiful surrounding that God has given them. A great place to live and to be, just like Derby, I'd imagine. Um, But immediately, right in that moment even, God speaks to Adam about the earth. is isn't just the place that he's in immediately. Already, God is wanting to enlarge his sights to a wider field. Adam's told to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, if you know uh, what happens in Genesis, if you know the Bible's account, then you'll know that actually mankind rebelled against God and things weren't going so well. There was a whole load of sin and rebellion on the earth and God said, I've just had it. It's, it's just got out of hands. That's my paraphrase, summary, you understand. And uh, God sees one man and his family, though, that are faithful to him. Remember who that is? Noah, you guys are good. So God floods the earth and he starts again with Noah and his family who have remained faithful to God. And then in Genesis 9, God makes a covenant with Noah and he says to Noah, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And a bit later in uh, verse 7 of chapter 9, he says again, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it and increase upon it. So right at the heart of God's instructions there and promises of the earth, the whole of it, all of it, not just the immediate location that Noah and his family found themselves in. A little bit later it gets a bit more specific. So you come across a guy called Abraham. Remember him? Good. 
Well, God makes some promises to Abraham. He speaks to him really specifically. Abraham's just a regular pagan guy going about his business and God breaks into his life. God speaks to him powerfully and calls him. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe unexpectedly you were just going about your business, going through life, and without realizing it, unexpectedly God broke in and spoke to you. If that hasn't happened yet, maybe it could even happen this morning. But that's what happens to, uh, to Abraham, or Abraham as he becomes. And God makes some promises to him. And now God speaks to him, not just making a promise to him as an individual, not even making a promise to his family, like he did uh, with Noah. But now God's promises about not just him or his family, but God promises to make him into a great nation. I mean, think about it for a moment. Here's Abraham on his own. Actually, at this moment in time, he doesn't have any kids. So it's not like he's got, you know, a whole great big family and God goes, well, they've made a good start. I guess we can, uh, we can use them. But rather, God speaks to somebody who doesn't have any children. And he speaks to him about making him, not just blessing him and his family, which he doesn't yet have, but making him into a great nation. God speaks something into being there that doesn't yet exist. Now, God has a tendency of doing that, you know. God speaks into being before something happens. Maybe God's done that perhaps with you. And so what God says to him in Genesis 12 is, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is so important. Even though God was calling into being a nation through Abraham, and that happened because we find the Jewish nation coming from Abraham's seed, actually, God's heart wasn't just to bless him and his family and even the nation that was going to come from him, but actually God wanted to have a blessing upon all the nations of the earth. So all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, God says to him in Genesis 12, verse 3. So God called into being a nation that was to have a special relationship with God. But because of that, they were then to demonstrate to the nations around them what that was like. And what it was like to follow the Lord, the Creator God. How that could be, how it would work, and to bless other nations because of it. Now part of the problem of the Jewish nation was that time and again, they forgot that. They weren't faithful to God, and they weren't a blessing very often to the nations around them. And so when that happened, God would send them a prophet. And the prophet would call them back to faithfulness to God, faithfulness to his word that he'd spoken, and remind them about God's promises to them. So for example, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 49, verse 6. This is God speaking through Isaiah now. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant. Sorry, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. There's that phrase again, the ends of the earth. So what Isaiah is saying here, what God is speaking is that 
whilst he wants to call the Jewish nation back to him, he's saying it doesn't stop there. It's not just about that. It's also about being a light to the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles were anybody who wasn't a Jew. So that's everybody else, probably most of us this morning. And God's saying to the Jewish people, I want to make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation might go to the ends of the earth. And friends, that's our mission field. It isn't just the city. is isn't even just the place near us or around us, but rather God has spoken to us about the ends of the earth. That's what happens here right through the Old Testament. Time and again, the prophets call the Jewish nation back to having that perspective of God wanting to influence, affect, reach and bless the ends of the earth. So in Habakkuk 2, Verse 14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth, the whole earth. Now, for the most part, the Jewish nation never quite got hold of those promises, never really quite understood how God wanted to use them for blessing the nations, for reaching the ends of the earth. But that's a very quick summary of some of what God said to his people in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Does that follow through? Is that consistent with the same sort of message? Well, what does the New Testament answer to the question, why reach the nations? Well, we really don't have time to have a look at everything this morning, but let me pick out a few verses for you. Let's start with Jesus. That would be a good place to start, wouldn't it? Do you agree? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 28, verse 19. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. So right there when Jesus was giving his disciples the sort of final instructions, just making sure they really understood what they had to do, that they were clear about what the plan was, right in that moment, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And then in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 8, this is after Jesus' resurrection and just before he's taken back to heaven, he says this. He says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We often use that verse, don't we? We often, often talk about that. We preach from it. We speak that over people and say, now be encouraged, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you with power. And let's be careful not to preach that sermon just now. But Jesus goes on. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's our phrase once again. So in this moment, just before Jesus is taken back into heaven, he wants to make it really clear to the disciples what they have to do. Let's wait for the Holy Spirit to come. You'll receive power when he comes upon you. Why? Is it just so you can feel good? Just so you can say, whoa, the Holy Spirit came on me? No, no, no. It's with a purpose here. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Judea was the area around them. Samaria was full of people very similar to them, but they were their enemies didn't get on terribly well, but they had something in common. <laughs> and then the ends of the earth was what Jesus was lifting their eyes to. 
Even in that moment, he wanted to encourage them to have that perspective. So that was Jesus' instructions. What about the apostles? What about you know, the disciples as they were trying to be faithful to Jesus' instructions? Well, initially, the early church focused on Jerusalem. That's where they were. That's where they lived. That's where they were at this time. And largely, to be honest, that seems to be what they were focused on. But then things change. Persecution comes and they're scattered. So the, the church sort of goes everywhere. But actually, in that persecution and in that scattering, the gospel goes forth because suddenly they're not in Jerusalem anymore. It seems that the leaders remained in Jerusalem, but most of the church, it seems, was scattered across the vast area. So suddenly, the church was forced to think about other places. And so you've got a tipping point here in Acts 8, 9, and 10. So in Acts chapter 8, you find persecution and scattering. The church goes to all sorts of places. In Acts chapter 9, you find the account of the conversion of a guy named Saul, who became known as the Apostle Paul. Heard of him? That's in Acts chapter 9. And then in Acts chapter 10, God speaks to Peter one of the apostles, gives him a vision and then he is called by a guy called Cornelius. Now this guy is a centurion. He's, you know, he's, a, he's a, a Roman army officer. Not the sort of chap you'd mess with actually. <laughs> but he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. And uh, he's been, uh, he's told by God to call Peter. And Peter goes to him, having had a vision Peter speaks to him in Acts chapter 10. And he sees that actually God is starting to work in Cornelius' life, even though he isn't a Jew. He's starting to enlarge Peter's thinking now. Could it really be that actually this gospel, this message of good news is for other people as well? And Peter says this in Acts 10.34. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And then we're told the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening and they were baptised in water as well as they responded to the good news of the gospel. Now you might think, wow, that's great. Isn't that exciting about what's happened now? That you know, some non-Jewish people have come to know the Lord and put their trust in him. Well, that's in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 11... Peter has to go and explain his actions to the other apostles who are slightly dubious about what has happened and uh, want to know what was going on because this wasn't really in their frame of reference. They weren't expecting it to happen quite like this. And so Peter goes to explain his actions to the others and they conclude together that God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Acts chapter 11 verse 18. So Acts 8, 9, 10 and 11 are critical for the mission for the church reaching further than just the Jewish community. Although that was still very much on their radar, and it was with Paul, because when he went to a place, he would often go to the synagogue to start with. But now it wasn't just about the Jewish people, but rather God had lifted their eyes and they'd really started to understand now that the gospel was for the nations. And so from this point forward, the early church and its leaders 
had a heart for other nations. As a result of the scattering, the persecution, a result of God speaking to them, they discovered that God had a heart for other people as well. And they now saw the gospel was for every people group, every nationality, every person whom God might indeed call. What about the Apostle Paul? He wrote much of the New Testament uh, as we have it now. He was a significant figure in the the New Testament world. What about him? Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes a letter. He's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And let me read a few verses from from chapter 16 to you to get an idea of what Paul was about. Now, on this occasion, he's talking about giving and talking about an offering. That's the context of what he's speaking about. But listen to what he says. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I'll be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I'll stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Let's just look what's happening here. Paul is in Ephesus at this point. And as well as what's going on there, he's writing to the church in Corinth. That's what we have here in 1 Corinthians. But as well as being in Ephesus and writing to the church in Corinth, he's talking about the Galatian churches, what he's given them and instructions to do. And he's referring to going through Macedonia. So everything that Paul does has an international feel about it. Even though he's in one place, he's writing to another church, referring to somewhere else he's been, and he's he's dealing with a church there, referring to where he's going to go on his journey. He's got a huge vision, not just for the location he's in, but for the nations, because that's what he feels God has spoken to him about. Paul was always pressing forward, always trying to reach into new places with the gospel. The Times Concise Atlas of the Bible estimates that the Apostle Paul travelled somewhere in the region of 10,000 miles in his missionary journeys. Bear in mind that was with no cars, no aeroplanes, and probably a whole load of sore feet, I would imagine. But even in our day, travelling 10,000 miles is fairly significant. Even more so in Paul's day. You see, here we have someone who was intent on taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth. In fact, Paul was doing exactly what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Make disciples of all nations. You see, the gospel was, and indeed is, for all nations. For every people group, every nationality and nation under heaven. Paul, in uh, Acts 13, 
quotes from Isaiah, the passage that we read, to explain to the Jews in Pisidian Antioch, uh, Antioch what he and Barnabas were doing in preaching to the Gentiles. And again, he's giving an account to the others about what he was doing. And he makes it very clear that this isn't just about re- the Jews recognizing their Messiah, even though that was important then and indeed still is today. It wasn't just about that. It's about bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. In Ephesians 2, we don't have time to look at the passage this morning, unfortunately, but in in that passage, Paul refers to God making one new man in Christ. And what he does in this passage in Ephesians 2 is to talk about reconciliation. Because in the New Testament world, there are many divisions. There were divisions of Jew and Gentile. Divisions of slave and free. Divisions of man and woman. And there are very strong distinctions. And I guess in our world, in our culture, there's also some strong distinctions, aren't there? People might use distinctions of being educated or uneducated. Being black or white or young or old or rich or poor. You know, whatever distinction you can make, people probably make it very often. But what we're taught through the New Testament, and indeed the whole of Scripture, is that God wants to reconcile that which is divided. That's his heart. God wants to reconcile that which is divided. So Jesus came to reconcile both Jew and Gentile to himself. Both are called to follow Jesus. But as well as that, Jew and Gentile are reconciled to each other in the gospel. So the gospel makes that possible. Even the sort of divisions or distinctions that our world might say, you know what, you'll never get that group of people talking to that group. It's possible in the gospel. Because Jesus calls both to himself. And as that happens, not only they reconcile to him, but they reconcile to one another as well. Paul says that Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. I wonder, this morning, would you describe yourself as far away from God or near to him? How might you describe yourself? If perhaps there was a, a line, and um, you know, at one end of the line, maybe that speaker was as far away from God as you could get. And then over that side, maybe that speaker over there, that was in God's presence right close to him. Would you this morning describe yourself as far away? Or maybe would you perhaps describe yourself as near? Because Paul makes it really clear. Jesus came to call those who are both far away and near to himself. And even this morning, whether you would describe yourself as far away or near, God is calling you. So follow him. Jesus' message this morning is clear to you, whether you're far away or whether you're near. Jesus is, in, Jesus is calling you to follow him, just as he did to the early disciples. Jesus' invitation this morning to you is to follow him as well. But it's not just about a personal relationship with him. In our culture, which is very individualistic, actually, 
We often emphasize that personal relationship with Christ, don't we? We talk about you know, when I responded to Jesus, when I became a Christian, we emphasize the personal uh, nature of it. And that's true to a degree because it is only you that can make a response to Jesus calling you. Nobody else can do it for you. You have to make a response. But it isn't just that Jesus calls you into that personal relationship with him. He calls you to be part of a people. And he calls you to be part of a people that are reaching nations. And it's not just the people that happen to hang out together, but rather it's the people that are on a mission, that God has spoken to and given a, a message to, to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And so Jesus calls you into relationship with him in order to be part of that in order to play a part in fulfilling that which he's spoken about. Mel talked a little bit earlier. I thought she was going to preach for a moment. I thought I'm not going to get on if she carries on like this. But she challenged all of us, actually, to be to hear from God, to be sensitive to him, to be committed to a local church. And that's an important part of following Jesus, too. It's where things are worked out. It's where your relationships and accountability come. It's where you learn to follow Jesus together. It's where you discover your part in his kingdom. So Jesus calls you to follow him to be part of a people that then reach nations together. So what about you? If that's what the, uh, the, New, the Old Testament and indeed the New Testament teach us, what about us? What, God, what is God saying to us in our day? Well, in the Old Testament, God wanted the Jewish nation to demonstrate to the nations around them the love of God. And unfortunately, as the Bible records, they spent most of their time rebelling against God themselves, which is why God time and again sent a prophet to call them back to himself. Now, God wants the church to show the nations what he's like. We're the inheritance of those, inheritors of those promises. Yes, Jesus still wants the uh, Jews and the Jewish nations to turn to him. But now the church has inherited the responsibility, if you like, of demonstrating to the nations around, indeed the nations of the world, what it's like to be part of God's family what it means to have God as your Father and as your Lord and King. And you know what? He's calling each of us to be part of it. You and I, even this morning, can be the inheritors of those promises, even the promises that God spoke to Abraham about. We can be part of that. We can get in on that. And so repeatedly the New Testament talks about not just people becoming Christians, but people being added to their number. That's the phrase the New Testament uses. And they're added to the church. You see, God's plan is for a glorious end time church. A church which expresses the life of God as a community, demonstrates the kingdom or rule of God as a city set on a hill in every nation town, city and village. The church is that community that will demonstrate to the nations what it means to be one new man in Christ. How that is worked out with one another. And the good news is, 
that we all get to be part of it. God calls every one of us to have a significant part of this mission together. So we're told in Revelation 7 that um, there'll be every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne. That's what the uh, Apostle John sees as he gets that sort of preview, if you like, into heaven there before the throne. That's what's going to happen at the end of time. And it echoes what the psalmist says in Psalm 67 where he says, Mate, all the peoples praise you. Not just some of them, not just the select few, not just one nation now, but rather all the peoples praise you. That's what the psalmist says. And you see, if all the peoples of the world, listen to this, this is, this is logic now. If all the peoples of the world are going to stand before God on that day and worship and declare Jesus their Lord, if there's going to be you know, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation under heaven at that day, don't you think even now that they're going to need to know about it? Someone's got to tell them. That's only going to happen, surely, if they get to hear about it, is it not? Is, is that a fair deduction, do you think? Are you, are you following my logic here? If that's going to happen at the end of time, before the throne, then someone's got to tell them. Someone's got to communicate the good news to that group of people. You see, we need to go. We need to be planting effective, mission-minded churches in every people group, every nation under heaven. So that in that day, there'll be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation worshipping Jesus as the Bible promises. John Piper puts it like this. This is a great quote. I love this. He says, mission exists because worship doesn't. God is after worshippers. It's good, isn't it? So often we can think, oh, it's all about mission. Well, it's about mission because... Worship doesn't exist. God is after worshippers. It's what he calls us to, even as we looked at the first week of this little series that we've been doing. God is after worshippers. And so an effective church will demonstrate to all the nations of the world the goodness and grace of God. It can show to the world what it means to live in community, to follow God and to be an attractive representation of Jesus to all my, who may see. You ever think about that? We're called to be an attractive representation of Jesus. How are we doing on that, I wonder? You see, that's how we reach nations, by planting churches. Paul said this in Romans 15. He said, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. That's quite a statement, isn't it? You know, that's like saying from Land's End to John O'Groats, I have fully proclaimed the uh, the good news of the gospel, the message of Christ. Now, can, can he say that, fully proclaim? What does he mean by that? Had he really spoken to every person and gone up to them and gone, gone through the bridge to life with them and shown them some references and quoted Jesus to them and pointed Jesus in the Old Testament? And, had he done that with every person? No, of course he hadn't. But what he had done as he had started effective, mission-minded churches, he could do that in their area. And by doing that, Paul could then say, I've done it. I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. Because he knew that the churches would then communicate that message to those around them. So, 
if we're going to see all the nations and all the people groups under heaven represented on that day before Jesus, I think we've got some work to do. Do you agree? We're not there yet. So Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, verse 14. So as we've said already, if there's going to be people from every tribe, every tongue, every people group, every nation on that day worshipping the Lamb, then it stands to reason that the gospel must be preached to them now in order that they might hear and understand and respond. So that should drive us forward, particularly with a heart to reach those nations or people groups which don't know of Jesus yet. There are two popular definitions of an unreached people group. Maybe you've heard this before. But this is what um, people say. A people group, firstly an unreached people group, is a people group with no indigenous witnessing church able to reach the nation. And there are currently about 6,000 people groups which fall into that category. Another definition is this, a people group where less than 2% of the population are evangelical Christians. And there are more unreached people groups in, where do you think? In India than anywhere else. More unreached people groups in India than anywhere else. There's a whole load of work for us to do. God has called us to reach nations for Christ. I'm trusting this morning that he's stirring that in us. I'm praying this morning that he's speaking to you even now. Maybe God is even at this moment putting nations on your heart. Maybe God is speaking to you through his spirit, speaking other countries or people groups to you. Because he wants all of us to have a heart for reaching other nations. Now that might be going... It's probably giving, and it's always praying. So that's got to include all of us, hasn't it? It might be going for some of you. It's probably giving financially, and it's always praying. For us, being part of an international family of churches helps us with this. It gives us a context to work out some of these things that we've been talking about. And for, for many of you, we'll, we'll know other people in other nations. That'll be true of us. Uh, that'll be true of us as a church as well. It isn't just a theoretical thing, but it's worked out practically with relationships with people that we know that are involved in working in other nations. Much of our giving into New Frontiers, the family of churches we're part of, goes to work in other nations. That's true of what we give regularly as a church. It's true of our offering into North this summer. Some of that money will go to work in other nations. I've had a meeting this week where we've been talking about finance for New Frontiers and uh, where different money is going to be allocated to in the, in the next year or so. And what, and what its proportion is going to work in other nations where we're serving other other countries. I've got another meeting in a couple of weeks' time where we'll be talking about the money that was given into the North offering over the summer and how we begin allocating some of that. And some of that will go to work in other nations as well. See, we're in this together. And certainly in this country, 
we've got a we've got a privilege where we can give financially into reaching some other nations and help the gospel go forward into other places as well we can play a part new frontiers has around 850 churches now in about 60 nations we've got people who are uh, in places that we can't talk about publicly because it's too dangerous to do so who are starting to reach some of the people groups that maybe we alluded to a little earlier so if god is speaking to you about going if god is speaking to you about a particular nation then you, you know, there's a way you can work it out maybe you can go on an elective if you're a medical student to another nation perhaps you can go in a summer break to another place we run things called life change teams where you can go to another nation for you know, a few weeks at a time and seek to be involved in what God's doing there. All these sort of things are possible. Maybe God's speaking to you about a particular place even this morning. I want to encourage you to go for it. For all of us, it's praying. For most of us, it's giving. Maybe for some of you, it's going to be going. We're going to pray in just a moment and I'm expecting God to speak to some of you about particular places. But before we do that, maybe the band can come up please as as I've been to wrap up. Let me say this. Having a a vision for going to the nations isn't just about travelling abroad. It also has an effect on what we do here in Derby. So for us, building a vibrant, multicultural church here in the city, a, ch- a church where many people groups are represented, that's important to us. You see, we live in a multi-ethnic city. Many cultures even just on our doorstep. And so we want to see a church established that represents that and has people from many different communities represented here in the church. So it's not just about travelling to other nations We want to be reaching out to other nationalities in the city as well. So you don't have to get on a plane. You can just jump on a bus. Actually, you can be part of reaching other nations by taking a walk just a couple of miles from here, even this morning. Walk down the road, and who knows, through a conversation that you have with someone, you could begin to impact another nation or a people group with the gospel. You know, I look forward to the day where we have worship songs in other languages other than English. Now, I'm not expecting them to do that now. Although that'd be good. That'd be great, wouldn't it? You see, Revelation talks about peoples of every tribe and tongue and people group worshipping Jesus in heaven. Don't you want to see some of that now? You know, I don't want to wait until then. It'll be good then. But I want to see some of that now. Because that's the sort of place where we live. And so actually the church should reflect the community that it's part of. According to the Office of National Statistics, I'm sure you're familiar with that office, the 2001 census shows that we have people in Derby, in this city, who were born in at least 51 different nations plus others. There's more than 51. That gives us lots of opportunity, even here, even now, to begin to reach nations and other people groups for Christ.
So reaching the nations is something that all of us can do. Whether we're going to go, whether we're going to give, or whether we're going to pray. Whether you stay or go, God can put something in your heart, even this morning, about having a larger perspective, a grander vision, to get caught up in what he wants to do in the nations of the world. It's about God doing something in your spirit. So can we stand together? And I want to pray as we close that God will do something in us this morning. That he will speak to us. Now, this is important. Listen, Listen to this. I don't want to manufacture something now. So this is not about me trying to make something happen. But what I do want to do in these few moments is I want to give God the opportunity to speak to us about some other places. I want to give God the opportunity to speak to us maybe about another people group or another nation that God wants to put on your heart. And as God does that, and I'm believing that he will, for some of you that may mean that in the future you may go there. Maybe you'll go there for a a short term. Maybe you'll go there long term. It may be that God wants to put something on your heart now, another place, another nation, another people group, and what he wants you to do is pray. You might not be in a situation right now where you can go, but you can pray. God wants you to find out all you can find out about that place, about that people group, and pray and bring it before the Lord and ask him to send others. Maybe for some of you, God's going to put somewhere on your place, uh, uh, you know, a a location on your heart or a people group on your heart. And you'll think, you know what, I want to give into that. Well, you come and see me afterwards. We'll talk about how you might be able to do that. But I'm not trying to manufacture something now. I just want to give God the opportunity to speak to us. Is that all right? So can we pray and let's see what God wants to do. Come, Lord. Let's lift our hearts to the Lord, shall we? Let's lift our hands to him, maybe as well. Just ask the Holy Spirit now to stir our hearts. Just ask him to speak to us. Just whisper to him. Say, Lord, would you speak to me now? Is there something, Lord, you want to speak to me about? Another place, location, people group, nation. Just be open to what God may have for you now. Lord God, I want to pray right now in these moments as we stand in your presence that Jesus, you would speak to many here about other nations, people groups, locations, nationalities, places. Lord, I pray that we would be an international church. Father, I pray that you would give us a vision for the nations. Not because it's some good idea that we might try and come up with, but Lord, we want to be truly biblical. We want to build church your way. And Lord, as we've seen this morning, right throughout the Old Testament and the New, time and again you lift our eyes to have visions, a vision for the nations. Not just our immediate location, but Lord, the wider fields. So I pray right now, Lord, would you speak to many in this place?
Lord, maybe for some it would be to go. For many it would be to give. For all it would be to pray. So I pray, Lord Jesus, in these moments of quiet before you, would you speak right now, please? Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray that we might be a church that reaches the nations for you. Father, we pray that in this city we would reach many different people groups. You'd help us to build a a church that reflects the wonderful diversity of peoples that you've put us amongst. Father, we pray for many leaders from other nations and people groups. We pray for songs from other cultures, all that glorify you. God, I want to build church your way. And Lord, this is what we see in your word. And so we say, Lord, help us with it, please. Help us with it, Lord. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.